Hello, and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Clinician Podcast, where we are talking to inspiring health business owners and trying to make sense of being a clinician in this entrepreneurial age. I'm your host, Joe Muirhead, and today I have with me Jeffrey Jenkins, a co-director of One Point Health, which is a large multidisciplinary allied health service now in two sites, Western Sydney in Penrith and in Ryde. One Point Health has an incredible influence in the greater west of Sydney. These guys have built their practice near where I live, and I have watched over recent years as they have grown and grown and grown. To be honest, I wasn't expecting with such growth that the ability to make clients feel cared for and as though they matter would drop off. I just assumed they would get too big and client care would go out the window, but that hasn't happened. I've experienced nothing but incredible service and I was a bit of a sneaky stalker before I asked for this interview and clients appear to be enjoying their experience at one point. I personally enjoyed having access to a desk with a PowerPoint while I was doing my sleuthing. So what do I mean when I say multidisciplinary? I mean podiatry, physiotherapy, sports medicine, chiropractic, massage therapy, exercise physiology, dietetics with other medical specialists, and they have an incredible footwear range. So really, we could suggest that this is an allied health practice that cares for us from our feet up. Yes, that is a terrible dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. I would love to know more about how this business got started. How did you actually start? Thanks for having me, Joe. much appreciated. Uh, so One Point Health, uh, very interesting story. Um, I feel it's an interesting story anyhow. So in the Penrith region, we initially had uh, about, I think it was um, three clinics, um, Nepean Podiatry, Western Sydney Sports Medicine and um, Soul Solution Podiatry. Um, Soul Solution Podiatry was actually owned by Chris and Naomi Scanlon and Nepean Podiatry, which I was one of the co-owners of, um, was owned by, yes, myself, um, Trent Baker, which was the founder, and uh, Woody Cotwell. So we'll always, probably about five years ago, we are tinkering around with looking at expanding or moving to a new site. Well, originally, um, the Pampa Dietary that was, was originally located in a Parker Arcade, which is a pretty old, small arcade there. And, um, yeah, we're constantly thinking about ways to... I guess go bigger, improve, expand. Look at who we can who we can work with. And um, it was funny. We met up with Naomi and Chris Scanlon just at an educational event. It wasn't uh, a planned meeting at all. It was just um, we just happened to see them there, and we got talking with them. We we knew of them because they were probably our biggest competitors in the podiatry um, industry in the Penrith Western Sydney region, and. Uh, yeah, we, it was funny. It was on a, I think it was on a Tuesday night, probably about six, seven years ago now. And we just started having a chat about our desires to, you know, get bigger and to grow. And uh, next thing you know, we're developing Western Sydney Sports Medicine Centre. Um, and that was, a, that was the first go at this multidisciplinary centre. And then about two years after that, we said, you know what, Hargaret, let's... Um, bring all the centers together, close them down, bring them all together and just start one big uh, amalgamation, which developed One Point Health. And um, One Point Health then moved on to purchase Karina Aiken Physiotherapy, which has also been in the region for um, 20 plus years. And then yeah, we went on to purchase, purchase our ride uh, podiatry clinic after that as well. So it was 
pretty scary time for us. Um, a lot happened in you know a very short period of time, and yeah, here we here we are. One Point Health three years down the track. Yes, and you, as I was saying earlier, that the growth for somebody looking from the the outside was: is this sustainable? Is this going to happen? It was a bit like Pac Man coming along and chopping up all the small, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the small clinics. And, and I must admit, I, I was a big skeptic of that, and and thought. Mm. Oh, we're going, to, we're going to lose that sense of this is a community um, where yes. the locals get serviced. And, and I've been really, really surprised. So um, yeah. I possibly wasn't your biggest fan in the beginning, uh, but I, <laughs> I have nothing but positive things to say now yeah. after having oh, a service. Oh, that's, so for, for me, I, I've been in this amazing situation with, with your co-director where we walked down the street together and a a clinic patient chased us down the street to say thank you for the service that he got. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's always that, good, good to hear those uh, little scenarios. It's, um, yeah. I have to say, it's not an uncommon thing when we're going to lunch and so forth. Yeah. So it's, it's quite a different um, uh, entrepreneurial journey for you. So you, you've started off in a, in a smaller setting where it was you and, and another owner and, and you kind of built that. And then you kind of had this need or this desire to see what growth could could look like so your process mm -hmm. for that is was acquiring other businesses can, can you explain how that relates to being entrepreneurial for you what, what sparked that where do you think that's come from yeah but before the actual acquisition um, side occurred it's um we actually the biggest thing that i really um recall in, in this journey was to actually get in contact with Chris and Naomi Scanlon, um, who were the, the owners of the Soul Solution Podiatry, and to develop that relationship from there. They were, Nepean Podiatry and Soul Solution Podiatry were the two biggest podiatry clinics in Western, Western Sydney. Mm -hmm. um, so we were direct competitors at the time. So I guess, yeah, the biggest point to really recall is making contact with them from that educational event I mentioned. Yeah. And then basically looking at them as you know, without taking the personal touch away, looking at them as an opportunity rather than as a direct competitor. Um, and by having that mindset of seeing them as an opportunity um, mm -hmm. rather than as a competitor, competitor, then we were able to move away from our fears of, you know, what if they do us wrong or what if we do them wrong by accident? We want to, you know, obviously uphold our integrity with this process. Um, so I guess that was a big thing. Um, coming together to develop and moving on beyond your fears to come together to develop something big. Um, you know, we had many years of, of growth and many years of practicing in the local region as, you know, single operators in the Pimpa Dietary and Soul Solution. So to be able to come together and start something together with a direct competitor, I think that was a, a huge entrepreneurial move um, yes. on both, both parts. I I would agree with you because most people get stuck in that um, the scarcity mindset that often follows competition. There's not enough to go around. Um, I'm going to lose my market share. I'm just going to feel bad um, rather yeah. than as you've done is present it as an opportunity. And I know when your CEO has spoken to me about Joe, can you help us with other opportunities? It's always presented mm. in that framework. It's never from a place of we want to come along and mow you down. It's always, we want to serve this community. Yeah, I always feel like if you can seek out um, and take risk in developing what we call, you know, meaningful like-minded relationships and with meaningful like-minded people, 
um, really think there's plenty of opportunities there. They're like-minded people. When you when you get to know them, when you get to know what their their drives are, what their their goals are, and their opportunities provide you, I think um, I think many people would move beyond that initial fear factor of uh, what if this happens. Um, mm. And that's just that, that goes beyond you know the immediate industry as well, just podiatry and health. That can go into many other facets, many other industries. Oh, absolutely. And and relationships is where it's at, isn't it? <laughs> so I think that the two things that <laughs> struck me then was um, the, the relationship building component and then the, the lack of competition, but coming from a place of wanting to serve, that they've been the two key drivers that have helped you build this platform, which has become so influential and, and helpful, which is great. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's okay. So... What do you think, well, how does entrepreneurial thinking help us as health professionals? Because it's really hard to put your clinic hat over there in the, on the, in the corner and then put your entrepreneurial hat on. I don't know about you, but I find that often the two have to be on at the same time. Now I can't be that schizophrenic. So how is <laughs> entrepreneurial, how is entrepreneurial thinking helped you clinically? Oh, I just, um, that's a really tough question. It's a really tough question, but I'll try to break it down. I think there is a huge amount of opportunities in health to start with in Australia. It's one of the strongest industries um, that have less of an impact from, you know, the world economical trends and movement. So I think there's from the outset, there's huge opportunity there. Um, so trying to break it down to how business thinking can affect clinical thinking. Um, I think from the clinical side of things, uh, touching on what I, what I mentioned before about working together with people and developing really, really meaningful, valued relationships. Um, so one of, the, one of the biggest things for us was to bring many professions together rather than have isolated professions in um, different areas. For example, a production in one building that was in South Penrith or something like that and physio in another building in the CBD of Penrith. Our thing and our thinking was to bring everyone together um, for a couple of reasons. One is to build those, those personal relationships between practitioners because a lot of the, from we're talking about the clinical evidence, the clinical evidence says that you, you have improved clinical outcomes and health outcomes when you work together as a team. Now, when you work together as a team, um, then that will also make it a lot more convenient for, for patients. Patients and people in general are time poor these days. They're extremely time poor. Um, and we, people in general is also, we can be very inconvenienced easily these days. <laughs> so by creating convenience and creating better health outcomes, um, there's a real crossover there between, you know, the business and the clinical side. That's a fantastic answer. I don't think I've ever heard anybody put it so succinctly. We are inconvenienced quite easily these days, aren't we? And cl prospective clients, especially if they can't book us on the spot, then they just automatically go to the next listing on, on the webpage. Or, Definitely. Yeah. Yes, so, so easily with mm. everything's so fast these days. Um, and what I mean by fast is everything mm. is, you know, it's accessible out of a drop of a hat. You can pick up your phone. If you literally can't get an appointment when they walk in, um, just giving a scenario of what, what would happen um, in our clinics is someone walks in off the street, um, 
they want to book an appointment with a podiatrist, but they were booked out on the day. Um, it's so easy for them to literally walk out the front door, have a look at the surrounding podiatrists that are near us um, and ring them up, book it straight away on the spot. And you don't have to, there's no opportunity there to regain that, to regain, you know, that, that opportunity to gain that patient mm. or that client. So it's, everything's immediate, everything's so fast. So if we can capture that and really focus on the convenience side of things, um, I think that's a big opportunity there for, for many um, health practitioners, I guess. Oh, I, I agree. And I, I'm assuming you've then systematized how you do this. So you're not relying on just your human resources. I, I know you've got a lot of great human resources, but you've got systems and processes in place that help back this up now. That was a huge thing for us, developing protocols and processes um, mm. so we can, one, make it scalable, but also have um, consistent surface. I remember reading a, um, I was actually on holidays at the time, and I remember reading, uh, he was the, the ex-marketing director of Coca-Cola. Then he, he moved to, I forget his name, but he moved to Airbnb. And one of the biggest things he said in the, in marketing, he, this guy was phenomenal. He virtually created the concept of Airbnb, took it to the world. I remember the, one of the things that this guy wrote. He mentioned that the biggest downfall for businesses, particularly small and medium-sized businesses who want to go to that next stage in, in growth, is creating consistency in your services and your products. So wherever you go, take McDonald's for instance, mm-hmm. wherever you go in the world, when you have, if you walk into McDonald's, you get the same experience every single time. Mm. So for us, protocols and processes that were scalable, that were obviously taking into account um, not losing that personal touch from going small to you know, medium, mm. um, that was a huge factor for us. It was really something we put a lot of time and effort into. Mm. Mm. That's, so this consistency piece turns up everywhere. If we're not consistent with our marketing, then we dry up on our referrals. If we're not consistent in our relationship, then we dry up with our strategic alliances. If we're not consistent with the way we treat staff, then we have a great churn going through our staff. If we're not consistent in the way we pay wages, then people aren't going to stick around. So it's, it's yep. such a simple concept. We, we, I think too often we get caught up in the buzz of the new shiny thing or the new exciting yeah, definitely. Yeah. we forget yeah. about the, the really day-to-day boring stuff which is did we say hello when this person walked through the door <laughs> yeah. and I guess um, I think one of the hard things with creating consistency is creating that that high level first knowing where that high level is to create a consistency at the high level um, right. so the constant reflection that constant um, seeking of feedback from your staff from obviously reflection of yourself, reflection of what your, what your um, patients or your clients are thinking. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very important, the, the reflection and the feedback point of view. Fantastic. Oh, thank you. I'm writing notes as we go because I like to do a bit of summary at the end, but unfortunately I've just had that moment yeah. where I go, hmm, we've got some work to do over here. So <laughs> I'll just bring myself back to the interview. <laughs> yeah. So what what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that clinicians face these days who who want to go into private practice for themselves what what are some of the things that we need to be mindful of and, and thinking of yeah um fear is a huge one fear of and this is you know it goes beyond just you know practicing in the health industry but 
fear of failure and fear of you know what other people think fear of what i'm going to think of myself um it's a huge reason why people don't take risks isn't it it's because they're so they're scared of what could possibly happen so i think that's a major major factor and i think for myself um moving on from you know when i first came out of uni and wanted to get into the podiatry world and once i've always wanted to have my own podiatry practice or be involved in you know some sort of partnership i think a major um a major way to assist yourself to get over that fear is to surround yourself with really positive uh, people surround yourself with the people who are constantly pushing themselves to do better who are going to influence you in a really positive way, who have who are happy to mentor, happy to give advice, you know, whether the advice is great or shocking, but it's still <laughs> experience and advice. Um, so I think fear is a big one. I think stigma. Um, in health, in health, stigma is a for making money off patients and you know doing being successful and you know doing well off people having injuries. I think that's a really, really gray area um but it's only gray because as health practitioners you generally go into health to help people um i've always thought that if you're good at what you do and providing good service you don't have to worry about that stigma because you're successful for a reason you're successful providing good service being good at what you do so that will overcome the stigma of fear of going bigger um and not looking like you're really taking advantage of patients who are in pain. Um, uh, probably, probably one or two more, probably losing the personal touch. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned, you brought it up before about, you know, possibly going too big. What does too big mean? Does too big mean that you lose that personal touch? You lose that um, real um, individualized service, but, I think if you, as we just mentioned, I think if you implement those processes and you really have a good foundational baseline values of putting the patient first, um, then I think there's very little chance of losing that personal touch. And again, constantly getting that feedback and constantly reflecting on what you're doing and whether you're doing enough to make sure you're upholding those good, meaningful relationships with patients. Um, my last one off the top yeah. of my head would probably be uh, a good life balance between business and your clinical side of things and your, your own time as well. I think one of the reasons I feel why we've been somewhat successful in my own reflection over the last three years is one of the first things we did as directors, so there's, um, there's five directors, four acting at the moment, was give ourselves time. When we immediately cut our clinical days down to two days or two and a half days a week in order to give ourselves time. Because when you have time, your creativity and your opportunity to think um, in an entrepreneurial, I guess that's the, um, the topic that we're looking at, that, that entrepreneurial uh, way of thinking, um, you have so much more opportunity to do that because you have time. When you don't have time, when you're stressed, you just don't think... We don't have the freedom to think creatively. Um, so I think, yeah, life balance I, I, and is a, is a yeah. big one. I think that's a great point that you raise, that many um, clinicians that I meet, especially who have started from a bootstrapping, they've, they've just gone out and they've started, started their practice quite often in the back of the car. And 
we know that we have to see so many clients and then to pay the bills and then we get the reputation. So we're seeing so many clients because the need is so big. And then we work out that we can't keep seeing all the clients because the need is so big because it's affecting us. But it's rare that I meet somebody that will go, therefore I need to cut my clinical hours, my direct client hours so that I've got time to sort this out. And quite often people are trying to do it in between sessions when we're exhausted yep. or at the end of the day when we're drained or we just magically think that somehow it's going to happen, but we don't actually take any action on it. So that yeah. that's a really impressive piece of information, I think, for anybody listening or reading. <laughs> yeah, it, I have to say that last point that, yeah, that we're talking about, it was one of the most difficult things for us because, you know, when you're thinking financially, it was an immediate impact and a direct impact in our revenue. Yes. To cut and because you know the 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 four acting directors at that time, you know we were the busiest in our clinics. We were booked out, booked out for you know weeks and weeks. So mm-hmm. to cut time and to cut our time to see patients was an immediate um, reflection on revenue, and people weren't happy about it either. You know some patients weren't happy about it, but when I talk about risks, they're the risks that you have to take in order to give yourself time to make those entrepreneurial decisions and keep moving forward and keep growing and keep providing the, um, I suppose, the positive environment for your patients and for your staff. Yeah, and and not be so stretched at the end of a day or a week that those things fall through the cracks. So it's, yeah. it, that's where you would lose that sense of the personal touch or start creating an environment where staff come for three months and then leave. That's it's impressive. Yes. So I've got a two-part question that I'd like to ask you now. So we'll have people listening and reading who are brand new clinicians and then people who are not so brand new. So what do you think the number one thing is that any new clinician needs to be successful in their clinical work? Hmm. Tough one. Again, good question. Um, So the thing that comes to mind is, you know, the good old cliche, you know, hard work, study hard, make sure you're going to uni and all that jazz. Uh, but I really think there's a, there's a lot more to it. I really think there is some key points that will get you much further, um, both from a clinical and a business perspective. And I, I think, and it's been, I've said it a couple of times, is learning to develop, um, learning to develop value and also grow those meaningful interpersonal relationships. Mm. Because without those, from a clinical perspective, your patients, if patients don't have the, the feeling that they can trust you, imagine a new patient walking through the door. They see this young guy, like I'm, I'm 30, early 30s now. Uh, and from a, a practitioner point of view, for someone to pay $180 or whatever it is to come see you and to spend 40 minutes, that's, that's a lot of money to see a young person. So you need to have the ability to develop trust um, for that patient or for that patient to trust you within the first you know, 30 seconds they meet you. So being good at developing those relationships and um, developing skills to enhance relationships, I think is a huge factor. Um, so to maintain, to build that trust initially for a patient and then to be able to maintain it, mm-hmm. I think is a, is a very, very important. Now, how that crosses over to the business side of things, um, 90%, 90%, I'll put a number on it. I reckon 90% of our opportunities from a business perspective has come from 
relationships, developing relationships, um, maintaining them, making sure you don't just forget about the ones that haven't really eventuated as something, you know, really successful or beneficial for you. Um, it's a huge reason why I feel like we're very well known in our community, in our local mm. community in Penrith area, because we we cherish those relationships. They're so important. You know, we've been in the area for 35 years or somewhat now. So you develop relationships. If you forget about them, then, yeah, your, your opportunities dry up. Gosh, I think that that's so powerful that many health professionals don't realise that the the knowledge and skills that we're taught around anatomy and physiology or, you know, functional performance or, you know, communication 101, is those skills in that treatment room are a little bit different to the skills that we need to get people into the treatment room and keep them coming yeah, back yeah. to the treatment room. And what I'm hearing yeah. you talk about there with these building these relationships and nurturing this trust is you can't assume that that's going to come through in your education. No, no. It's, um, I think it's, a, I, I do some lecturing and I'm involved in education. One of my, my previous degrees, I was actually in education. Um, it's so important. We just don't get taught this at uni. We, we get kind of guided to how to develop some of those key components of developing relationships, but we don't get taught. And I don't think it is something that can be easily taught either. I think it's a, it's a very difficult and um, time-consuming skill to develop. Um, and it's funny, when we do interviews for new, new practitioners or admin staff, the first thing we look at is, is the type of person they are. We, we don't care about what people's scores are in their, whether they're getting HDs consistently for four years straight. I don't care about that. I care about the person. What type of person are they? How are they going to be um, interacting with you know other staff in the team, but you know most importantly their patient. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to develop, but such a, a an important one. And I feel the mo it is the most important. And you're not alone. Can I share with you that when I talk to health business owners of health businesses, that we can teach skills, but we can't teach some of that attitudinal relating stuff. With that, that's kind of like a. a prerequisite for even applying for work you'll oh, find yeah. most people talking about now yeah definitely this, yeah this has been such a, a, an insightful uh interview thank you i, I just want to reflect back to you some of the key things that have come out for me is that you're very much built around relationship which uh relationship with clients relationship with prospective clients relationship with service providers it's it's all about the way you relate and and not forgetting how those relationships have been formed, but then nurturing them ongoing. Like you, you yes, mentioned, definitely. if we just ignored the relationships from 30 years ago, then that wouldn't necessarily go well for us. And creating this incredible sense of consistency so that people can trust you. So they trust mm -hmm. the brand, they trust you as a person, they trust going into one point in Penrith means they're gonna get this level of service and they can expect it wherever they, they go. So that's quite remarkable. Yeah. And, and in doing that, making sure that you are putting the processes and the protocols in place so that the personal touch. So, so people always feel careful because that's essentially how I felt being a part of the service and, and watching the way people interact is like, actually you guys genuinely care. I, yeah. I didn't expect that. I was, thank you for surprising yeah. me. <laughs> and I really enjoyed hearing you say that the thing that you, one of the things you have had to get over and work through is this fear. 
is this sense of fear that yes. even but you did it and you did it in a considered approach so you, mm. you haven't just thrown millions of dollars at something or got massive amounts of angel investment you've actually gone we're gonna to have to dig deep here and that means we're gonna to have to get uncomfortable so that mm. we can we can build something unique and and significant so to me that's this yeah. is what I want health professionals to be doing. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good summary. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's kind of nice hearing it being said back to you. Uh, I'm enjoying yeah, watching the, the great big smile that's on your face now. So um, thank, thank you for that. So what, what's next for you? Because um, I get the sense that the, just a podiatrist or the owner of a, of a fairly large clinic is, isn't all that it's going to be. What's next for you? What's next for me? Um, I, I want to take One Point Health wider i want to i want to take it to the people of you know new south wales first um, and this is not me this is our team this is our team um we wanted to be able to provide the service and we genuinely feel like this service um where people come together and work together as true multidisciplinary teams um i really think that provides much better clinical outcomes so and i, I think uh, the public deserve it as well um, so yeah, what's next for us is it's our goal is to take One Point Health, um, you know, across the state to start with, and then um, across, you know, across the nation if possible. Oh, um, let's bring that on! <laughs> I was hoping you would say that. Yeah, yeah, think big. Why not think big? Yeah, um, and especially seeing that your premise is coming from the patients deserve this. That's like, yeah. yes, they do. <laughs> it's yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know. It's, don't want to drag this on too long. This has all been done before. One point health has all been done before. Um, but I think in terms of how and the, the value and how genuine we feel that working together um, rather than just bringing contractors in to place in rooms and stuff like that, when, you know, unfortunately, when money gets involved and people want to earn money as contractors, it's, it's very hard to work as a team. So, yeah, that's... It's something that we don't do and we really pride ourselves on not doing. And I think that's a, it's a big reason why our team works so well together. Mm -hmm. No, it's very powerful. It's a very powerful experience. So if people would like to learn more about One Point Health, how do they get in touch with you? Where do we find you? Uh, all the, you know, all the, the typical um, channels. So obviously on the website, um, we're located in Penrith, we're located in, in Ride, um, and then soon to be some other sites, which is exciting news. Um, Head on to our Facebook page, uh, One Point Health Facebook page. We're very active on those and we try to give regular health tips and information. We're open to people asking, asking questions. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Fantastic. Well, I want to say a big thank you. Um, this, um, I'm looking forward to this uh, podcast being translated into book form, but also making it go live so that we can be learning from, from people who've gone before us and, and are learning how to do this yeah. really well. Thank you for your time, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Hello, it's Joe here. Thanks for listening to this interview today. I trust you're enjoying them. I trust you're learning from these interviews. It was such a privilege for me to be able to conduct them. And I have learned so much um, as I've prepared for creating the book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician. If you're looking for more information or how to purchase a copy of the book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician, head on over to joemuirhead.com forward slash book.